I'm from Austin, Texas, and yes, I'm uh, 71 years old and been on a plant-based diet for about two years. I am a very active person, gardening, uh, Pilates, and things like that. I have a, a shoulder uh, pain, and it became considerably worse in the last couple of weeks. I went to see the orthopedist who did x-rays, said I have a bone spur, and at least part of it looks like it's bone on bone. And of course, she wants to give me a shoulder replacement sur surgery, which I said I'm not ready for. Um, I did accept the uh, cortisone shot in which since that time, which was eight days ago, I've had constant pain, which uh, I talked to her over the phone today and she says, well, sometimes it takes up to two weeks to kick in. Uh, my question to you is, um, you know, what are your thoughts on shoulder replacement sur surgery? And hopefully that's not the route I want to go. Um, but what can I do to get out of pain? I, I look, I'll take this one if it's okay. It's, it, I'm only going to give general advice. I'm not going to give specific advice to individuals because I haven't seen your x-rays or anything like that. Joint replacement surgery is thought to be effective, but it's interesting that it's a bit like uh, uh, one of the other speakers was saying earlier, that we don't have a lot of good evidence comparing uh, in randomized trials, comparing joint replacement surgery to not doing it. Um, so, for example, in shoulder replacement surgery, we don't have that evidence. In knee replacement surgery, there's been one study published in the New England Journal uh, showing it to be effective uh, for a certain type, but not as effective as we thought it would be. And for hip replacement, the results are very good. And so it's, a, it's one of these things where it's been difficult to do a study because the, the difference between um, people's health status before and after the operation is very large. Uh, whereas they can't walk without a stick before and then they can walk very well afterwards. So um, it's thought to be, in fact, it was called the operation of the century. Um, at the turn of the century, it was thought to be quite an effective operation. So shoulder replacements along those lines. So if your shoulder has worn out, okay, this is, this is where it's completely worn out, where, where there's no lining on it anymore and bone is rubbing against bone, that can be very painful and replacing the joint can relieve that pain. It doesn't make it normal. You will not get normal movement back in your shoulder ever after a joint replacement, but it, it in most cases will be less painful. So it's a procedure that, that um, probably has a role, but um, just be warned. Some people think, oh, well, if I have to have it, I have to have it. Nobody has to have elective surgery. It is a choice where you weigh up the risks and benefits. Mark, would you like to ask a question and where are you from? Yes, uh, I'm from Providence, Rhode Island and I practice integrative medicine. And I actually am familiar with the writings of Dr. Yoho and Dr. Abramson. I, I really like what you write and appreciate um, all of what you've said today. And I also know Dr. Lustig and Dr. Harris. I have a lot of admiration for you guys. So uh, in my, I'm, I've been in practice for our, about 32 years. And uh, as time has gone on, I've gradually pulled away from doing more conventional medicine to doing integrative medicine. And part of this is my perception 
that the profession of medicine has become, increase, has become increasingly corrupted. And uh, it's been corrupted by the kind of financial interests that you guys made reference to, by ties to the pharmaceutical industry. And more recently, it's become uh, more or less overmastered by the public health department and, and incapable of asserting itself independently. And uh, I, I'm seeing uh, modern medicine as being in a state of decay that um, from internal corruption. And I'm wondering, does anybody see a way out? Do you see any hope for, for the future of medicine? Or are we going to continue to decay internally due to these corruptive influences? Mark, uh, let me take a shot at that. Um, <clears throat> you should be on the panel. You yeah, really. <laughs> we understand. Um, I think the only way out of this is for a coalition of healthcare providers who understand that they aren't getting good information. Purchasers, non-healthcare related purchasers of, of, um, uh, uh, of health insurance uh, who are getting ripped off and they're paying about $4,500 a year extra for each covered life of their employees and their, they can have families. And that makes these businesses far less competitive domestically and internationally. And most important for the American public that is not getting the health care that they would get if they lived in another wealthy country um, and they're paying through the teeth for it. And if our democracy is going to work, a coalition of the providers, the purchasers, and the consumers has to become more powerful than the pharmaceutical industry's money and lobbyists and PR work. That's the only way out of this mess. It may be a long shot, but that's the only way out. Yeah. Let, me, uh, let me weigh in also. I, I agree with what you said, Dr. Abramson. Uh, I, I actually see one 2,000 pound gorilla in the room that could actually do something. And you mentioned it, it's the insurers. The problem with medicine, and it's been true since 1935, the problem with medicine is fee for service. The problem with medicine is we pay doctors to do stuff. We pay them for procedures. Now we pay them for RVUs. We don't pay them to get better. We pay them to get worse is what we do. And the problem is that the insurers were happy to do it because they would just raise the rates. They always stayed ahead because <laughs> that was their job. So they were happy when you got sick. It was actually in their best interest for you to get sick. And so it was the casino model. It's the same thing that happens in Las Vegas. They're happy when you come in. They're even happy when you win. Why? Because they know next time you're going to lose. And that's the, you know, that's, it was pay to play and set the rates. Okay. They took, you know, money right off the top. Now, Obamacare, and you can say whatever you want to about the Affordable Care Act, since today is the actual 12th anniversary of the signing of the Affordable Care Act, Biden and Obama were actually at the White House touting its success. And you can say whatever you want about the success or failure of Obamacare, and I don't even care what you say about it, how about that? It did one thing, one thing. What it did was it capped 
profits by the insurance company at 15%. Anything else they had to return back to the consumer. All of a sudden, the insurers now can't make as much money off each individual illness as they did before. Now, for the first time in their existence, they actually want you to be healthy, not sick. The problem is they don't know how. The point is, you can't fix health care till you fix health. They don't know what that is. They don't have a blessed clue what health is. They know how to pay for sickness. We, that, and it's been said a zillion times, we have a sick care model, not a health care model. That's exactly right. Could the insurers make money doing the right thing? Absolutely. But it means changing the entire medical business model. That means changing physicians' reimbursement. That's a big deal. That's a big nut to crack. Could it be done? Yes, it could be done. I actually talk about it in my last chapter of Metabolical. Uh, what would actually have to happen in order to make those changes and get insurers and providers on the same page in terms of being reimbursed for doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And that means also the food industry has to be reimbursed for doing the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Can be done, but right now, nobody's interested in doing it. So I, you know, I feel your pain, Mark, and I'm with you, but you know, there is, there is hope, but it's a very, very, you know, thin, thin, you know, window of light here. The problem is we've got an economic model for something that doesn't follow economic principles. That's and, right. and so we've got a health care industry, not a health industry. And it doesn't even um, obey the laws of supply and demand. If you put twice as many uh, doctors in a, in a region, you just get twice as much health care delivered. You don't get twice as healthy. Um, so it, it it's it's very difficult to build this sort of typical yeah fee for service let's just pay people to do more model when it doesn't work like that it doesn't obey those principles so the affordable care act mandated that insurance expenses be less than 20 percent and the insurance industry lobbied ferociously for a lot more and it doesn't apply to companies that which self-fund their health care coverage where the percentage is probably much higher. For example, Texas Blue Cross and Blue Shield, they've had expenses as high as 36% of the total. And so I think insurance is the most corrupt part of medical, the medical system. And I, I certainly wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't uh, uh, lean on them to make any kind of reforms. Um, there, Elizabeth Rosenthal in An American Sickness, uh, that, that's the name of her book, she said that the insurance administration costs average around 20%. And they, as, as has been observed previously, they take it right off the top. And it's arguably an incentive to waste because the bigger the pie is, the bigger percent they get.